Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm your host, James Caldwell. In this episode, I chat with a passionate future leader of our region. We discuss the barriers youth face in rural areas and how the current system leaves services and livelihoods out of reach for many. How can we solve these gaps and make rural areas a better place to live? Well, let's find out. Welcome to the podcast. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. I know that you're busy running around with a couple different things. So to start off, Lizzie, do you mind if you can tell the listeners a little bit about you? I know that you're you're a political science student, and so maybe you can talk a little bit about what you've studied and whatnot, and what you're currently working on, that kind of jazz. Sure. So thanks, everyone, for listening in, first off. And I want to say that the views um, that I'm going to be talking about here are, uh, are my own and are not really affiliated with some other things that I'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, so I am Lizzie Burns. I am kind of originally from northern New Brunswick, grew up in this small village of Beldoon. And uh, yeah, then moved on to Mount Allison University to study political science. So right now, I'm just kind of finishing up my degree. And there's a lot of different kind of sections of political science that you can kind of zero in on at Mount Allison. I zero in on public policy. That's my big area of interest. Yeah. So with public policy, my big interest there really is how we're, we function within our society, with our policies, what our policies mean at these different levels of government, how they affect different groups, that kind of thing. So my, my goal, uh, you know, kind of post-degree was to see what we can do specifically in more rural areas of the country, but, you know, New Brunswick specifically mm-hmm. to adjust our policies to, you know, be more inclusive, be a little bit better. And I've kind of started that, that track by working with a non-for-profit in Miramichi, New Brunswick. That non-for-profit is called Miramichi Youth House. Stay tuned. We might be changing up the name of the organization, but the, the organization, you know, stays the, stays the same in, in essence, but that non-for-profit houses homeless youth in that area. So to give a little bit of context on what the difference is between this non-for-profit and, you know, like a group home, the ages for this particular homeless shelter is any gendered youth ages 16 to 19. And the difference between them and a group home or foster care is, uh, you know, we don't have any kind of jurisdiction over the, the, the people that we have there. So the, the youth that live there are free to, you know, kind of come and go as they please. Of course, we have, you know, some standard rules of, you know, if you leave within the first, you know, couple of weeks, you have to wait so many weeks before you return that kind of thing, where we want to make sure we're not operating as like hotel for, for people um, to enable some behaviors that could be dangerous. But that's kind of the, the, the just of the big difference between the two there. And it's really important that we think about too, and I'll get into that a little bit later, who it is that we need access to a homeless shelter as a youth and who may not, but we'll I'll chat about that a little bit later. But yeah, that's kind of uh, my my degree and where I'm working right now. No, that's that's great. No, 100%. I think, you know, rural rural areas, you know, when we kind of think about youth, we think more about urban centers. But yeah. there are a lot of youth in rural areas that mm-hmm. do get left out more often than not. 
And mm-hmm. so I think it it is definitely important, you know, to touch on that and to focus on that, especially in your studies. So on that topic, great segue there, because my next question is kind of about, I know, so you grew up in Beldoon, and mm-hmm. now that you're living in the greater Moncton area, you have kind mm-hmm. of a good idea of the compare and contrast of urban and rural uh, mm-hmm. challenges. So what would you say are some challenges that youth face in rural communities more so than in urban areas? The biggest one that comes to mind is transportation. That is a huge, huge, huge piece of living in a rural, more rural area that can really throw off the accessibility you get. One thing, I mean, even just growing up in Beldoon, you know, uh, to give personal example, we lived in Beldoon. My mother worked in Dalhousie, New Brunswick, you know, which is about 30 minutes away on a highway drive. And most of our doctor's offices were in Bathurst, which is 30 minute drive in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. So if you think about, you know, being a kid at school and you have a dentist appointment in the middle of the afternoon, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon for my mother to have to take an entire day off of work to drive from Beldoon to Dalhousie, pick us up, take us to Bathurst, go to an appointment, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, we're incredibly fortunate that we were in a privileged position that we could afford to do that where a lot of families don't. So that's just one little example of some things that, you know, I had faced, but a big one for, you know, youth in Miramichi, specifically at the youth house that I've run into multiple times, you know, between the ages of 16 and 19, you know, a lot of kids are getting their, their driver's license to learn how to drive, right? You need to have a car or access to a car that someone will let you drive. And, you know, a lot of these youth don't have contact with their families, don't have anywhere else to go, which is why they're at a homeless shelter to begin with. And uh, because of that, access to a vehicle that they can learn how to drive in is pretty low. So then, you know, your first thought next is, okay, well, driver's ed. And that's great and dandy, but driver's ed is, I, I, I can't remember the price now when I was in high school, it was something crazy, like 500 yeah. something dollars. I'm sure it's still somewhere around there. It's probably even more expensive now. So if you're a homeless youth, you don't have that kind of money to spend to learn how to drive. So where buses and taxis and Ubers and things like that are not always accessible in these areas, you know, having the ability to drive is huge, right? Because even though we can't provide them with a car, if we can at least provide them with, okay, here's your driver's license, you know, they can then, you know, we can help them, you know, save up to, you know, maybe a grand, two grand to buy, you know, a a beater car, but one that'll Mm -hmm. get them to where they need to be, right? I mean, I know from my experience, I definitely, you know, spent a grand on buying a a car, right? Just a starter, but that's huge because that is how you get to appointments and to jobs and to school. So transportation is a huge piece of having that accessibility and having that public transit, of course, falls on the the shoulders of our our provincial and municipal governments. And, uh, you know, New Brunswick's lacking all around in and public transportation uh, in general. But yeah, that's a huge one. Yeah, I think that's what well, sounds like. Obviously, the Miramichi Youth House does some great work from uh, what you're telling us. And so that's amazing. But I also, I think you make an amazing point there that really New Brunswick and most of really Atlantic Canada is, is fairly rural. 
Mm-hmm. And we really do experience a lot of like this transportation deserts. I know, like I remember maybe like a year or so ago, anyway, it was it was based out of this article that came up or the story that came up was based out of Alberta, Saskatchewan area. And they talked about how the Greyhound buses, I believe that's the yes. company, were shutting down lines. Yes, yeah. And, and how, how, you know, obviously how tragic that is to lose those transportation lines but we also, you know, it's a similar story out here on the East Coast that doesn't yeah. really get talked about very often because, you know, Via Rail has been constantly yeah. ever since, I don't even know, probably since the 80s or, or yeah. way before our time, yeah. has been constantly cutting access, cutting uh, routes. And it really mm-hmm. is like you really, it, it has really come to a point where you do need to own a car in yeah. order to be a functioning citizen in atlanta canada which is a shame it really is because when you think about that too right i mean like i said you have the added barrier to youth right of having access to a car to learn how to drive so let's say Mm -hmm. we accomplish that you know a youth gets their license gets a beater car okay great now it's insurance now it's maintenance gas it's all these extra things right that Mm -hmm. really add up that i i think a, a lot of that is forgotten about when we think about having accessibility it's we'll get a driver's license it's like well that's not as easy as you might think for everybody and keeping in mind too the majority of the youth that we have Miramichi youth house they have you know a a multitude of you know kind of disadvantages against them right i mean they're can you i mean you can think back to when you were a teenager could you imagine being homeless as a teenager right having that a lot of our youth do come from indigenous communities a lot of our youth are members of the lgbt Q2S plus community. A lot of our youth have multiple different kinds and variations of, you know, learning capabilities and abilities. So, I mean, there's just so many things that stack up. So where transportation is already so difficult to get to, it just makes it that much harder for rural youth, right? Who have Mm -hmm. some, you know, added disadvantages that often go, yeah, undiscussed. Mm -hmm. And I will actually chime in here for kind of switching do a little bit of a compare and contrast for mm-hmm. urban youth because obviously yeah. transit is a similar issue for urban because I just thought mm-hmm. of for our friends in Moncton the Moncton mm-hmm. High School is now actually closer to Irish Town than it yeah. is Moncton when I was living in yeah. Irish Town I was uh, much closer than pretty much 99% of Moncton to their high yeah. school and the public transit, and maybe this has been corrected since then, but uh, I, I remember a story coming out that public transit doesn't even go all the way to the high school. It stops yeah. in that, that by that Tim Hortons there, not, uh, yeah. but anywho, so really we, I think as a province moving forward, we really do need to take a hard look at our transportation because like you've mentioned, it's so expensive to own and drive your own car, to have yeah. that personal vehicle. It's yeah. and it really puts disadvantage on extraordinary number of young people. Yeah, hugely. I mean, like you said, even in the more urban areas, it's it's not just rural New Brunswick that that faces those challenges because we don't have kind of like a universal system of 
you know, multiple buses, like, you know, it's not like in Ottawa where you stand at a bus stop and if you miss a bus, that's fine. Another one's going to be there in about 30 seconds anyway, right? Mm -hmm. It's if you miss a bus, you have a good half hour to an hour wait until there's another one coming on your route that's headed to where you're needing to go. You know, so again, that makes it really challenging for youth to get, you know, to jobs, to volunteer activities, to extracurricular activities, to school, to appointments, you know, a whole host Mm -hmm. of things. I mean, and even not just youth, I mean, that that affects just about uh, everybody in the community who is just, right. you know, not not fortunate enough to own their own car, right? Which focuses on, you know, elderly populations, you know, populations who need more accessible transit for, you know, physical abilities, you know, all, mm-hmm. all those groups are also affected by that. But yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So kind of the next question we kind of started to go into it anyway, but <laughs> what changes would you like to see to help grow our communities in both rural and urban Atlantic Canada? What do you think would be the most impactful changes that we could make to help grow our communities or retain youth in a sense? Yeah, so um, I mean, definitely the key there is retaining youth. Um, you know, it's kind of this well-known idea that New Brunswick is a retirement province, right? This is where people come to retire, not where they come to start their mm-hmm. their lives or continue with their lives. And that really needs to change because we do have a lot of wonderful things here in New Brunswick. But again, it's that, you know, kind of accessibility. Where do we go from here? So to get youth to stay, we need incentives, but they don't even necessarily have to be incentives like, you know, I don't know, tax breaks on, you know, housing, if you were a resident here for X amount of years, I think incentives can be, you know, pretty simple things like, hey, we have, you know, more job opportunities here, we have, you know, more education institutions uh, that are going to be accessible here, you know, kind of selling it as, hey, because we have growth to do, we need the voices of youth, we need the activism of youth. And we need you to stay to help us with, um, you know, youth need to be put on the forefront of, of leading the charge of, okay, we need to make this province better. And it just kind of always tends to be the way that the younger people just kind of know where things need to be heading. You know, younger people are always kind of thinking about what the, what is this going to mean in 20 years? What is this going to mean in 30 years? Who is this going to affect? So it's really important to have those youth on that forefront. So keeping them here really means we put them, kind of in charge so where we have governments you know like the ones we have right now in new brunswick that are definitely shutting out youth quieting youth that makes it extremely difficult to to fight against that kind of institutional barrier of you know your typical older generations that want to you know (laughs) keep leading this show but i it needs to be you know louder voices that we have but hugely that falls again back to our government systems who who like to quiet the youth. So I think it's our government systems that need to change, that need to be saying, okay, no, it's it's our young people that they know they know what's up, they know how to get things moving. So we need to be listening to them. You know, they're the ones who are gonna be living in this province, living with the aftermath of a lot of our decisions so they need to be not just included being included is not enough anymore it needs to be leading the charge and making the space for everyone there yeah so hugely hugely it needs to be a big pressure on our government systems and for those systems to be 
act, you know, actively wanting youth there. And they need to be making that clear, you know, outside of just election time, right? If, if you have a, a party, a political party saying, hey, we care about youth, but you only hear about that during election season, shocker, spoiler alert, they don't really care that much about youth. <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of our listeners kind of know that already. Yes. Um, well, yeah. But no, yeah, I think that, you may No, that just yeah, that's my big kind of take on that. Yeah, I think you hit on well, really a lot of great issues. One that I really like so I've been kind of doing these conversations now and I've been talking with a bunch of different people and one thing that kind of is a bit of a common thread is that yeah, leaders will at election time, you know, come to us and say you know, all these nice things that they care about youth. Mm -hmm. And then once they're elected or once the election is over, they will kind of disappear a little bit. Um, yeah. And so, and I have had this conversation where, and I've used this before, but it's kind of this downward spiral, I feel, mm -hmm. that the leaders don't push policy that are is youth-centric. It doesn't yeah. appeal to youth. And then they don't listen to youth's concerns when it's not an election. So yeah. then the youth get disengaged. The youth don't vote. Yeah. So then the politicians say, well, the youth aren't voting. So I don't need to create, I don't need to create youth policy. I don't need to focus yeah. on the youth vote. because yeah. yeah, quote unquote, youth don't vote. And mm -hmm. so then it's just this downward spiral of disenfranchisement and disengagement yeah. but really i think the onus is on our political leaders like yes. i i know that there are a number of organizations you know like the first one that comes to mind is like the new brunswick student alliance that yeah. goes to goes to the legislature and fights for youth concerns 100 yeah. percent. but really the onus should be on our elected leaders it should be yeah. on whoever is sitting in the legislature to come to youth leaders to come to yeah. young community leaders and get their opinions like yeah. we shouldn't be doing the heavy lifting really if no. if if people are serious about getting youth to stay in new brunswick and creating youth-centric policies they need mm -hmm. to be coming to us really absolutely absolutely um I, I couldn't agree more with that and it is definitely this kind of vicious cycle where you know a group is continuously excluded because that group is continuously excluded they don't really want to fight to take part anymore and you know then you have you know the whole well youth don't vote anyway and it's like well why don't youth want to vote why do you think youth feel like mm. it might be a waste of time right it's not, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah that, you know, that domino effect. But yeah, I couldn't agree more with that, that the parties, you know, that say, hey, we care about youth. Okay, great. Well, actions speak louder than words. So <laughs> great that you said that, but let's make a plan here. You know, are you going to be meeting with people like the Student Alliance of New Brunswick? Are you going to be meeting with, you know, student leaders at different universities? What about high schools? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, some kids in high school are going to be of voting age, you know, odd times. You might have a few students who are of voting age, you know, towards the end of their high school career where there could be an election. And even then, why aren't we just talking about that in general? Why is, I mean, kind of a little detour on education, but why aren't we teaching more about the importance of voting, what voting means for youth in New Brunswick in our education system as well? The younger you are, the more involved you are generally, the more information you have and the more you want to get involved with it. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge piece too. So 
if there's any educators uh, or future educators listening, please talk about voting and the importance of voting. <laughs> yes, no, 100%. <laughs> and I think, you know, just kind of, I'm taking a bit of a sidestep here, but I honestly am a proponent. I do support like lowering the voting age to about 16. Yeah. I, like yeah. I know that idea gets tossed out every few years, but yeah. I honestly do support it because it, especially yeah. when we're facing so many crises, like whether it's climate yeah. or this pandemic, like the youth, like the young people actually, and to further the point, I believe it was, I can't remember if it was the Scottish independence referendum or if it was Brexit, but either way, one of them allowed people who were 16 years of age, they lowered the voting age for the referendum to 16 yeah. because this decision was going to ultimately affect them in the future like it was yeah. their future that they were deciding on so absolutely and, yeah and anyway, i think there's a lot of obviously curmudgeons who don't agree with uh, lowering the voting age but uh, i i guess with lowering the voting age the biggest comeback we can have for that is kids at that age you know maybe they'll just vote for whoever because they're bored let me tell you not that i was you know a 16 year old out doing crazy things but if I was 16, given the privilege to vote, my first thought wouldn't be, ooh, let me let me get into some trouble and go to a voting booth and vote for someone who I think sucks, right? That's just not... Well, exactly, <laughs> right? Work, right? Um, like, if they have you voting, they're voting because they care. They're voting because of issues that matter to them. Um, e yeah. Exactly, exactly. Like, in my opinion, the people who of that age of that like 16 to 18 age that would vote are people who are already engaged in the political yeah. process who are already knowledgeable about the political process yeah. and plus you know i it, it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world to do to get on a ballot to vote to like like to, like it's not like in the united states where you can write in a candidate <laughs> um, you have to, you know, you have to get your signatures, you have to get approved by elections, yeah. New Brunswick or whatever jurisdiction you're in. And like, it, it's not, you know, a super easy process. So I know, no, of course not. No, um, our youth are, I, I mean, I couldn't be more proud of the youth that we, we have, uh, you know, in this province or really in Canada in general, you know, we are so active and so vocal and it, it's incredible and i i'm just hoping that that continues and i think it will yeah I mean, if we lowered the voting age uh to be quite honest i i think that a lot of people a lot of older uh more right-wing political parties would be running away very afraid and honestly they should be because the younger generations are coming, we are coming fast, and we are not we are not slowing down. And there's no reason for us to be doing that. So, yeah, no, I'm huge supporter of lowering that voting age. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I guess we've kind of already touched on it a little bit, but why do you think it's important, or perhaps how do you think is the best way for young people to get involved in their community? Oh, that's a great one. You know, I think I think that depends a lot on the community you're in, how you identify within the community, but kind mm -hmm. of a blanket term that could kind of be used for anyone. You know, everyone has something that they care about, even if they don't know specifically why, like, you know, like they know they either care about people or care about animals or the environment or education or what have you. Everyone has something that they care about. Pick the thing that you care about and think about 
what you can do to make that a more exciting thing for other people to care about too. So for example, if you are a young person who is, uh, you know, you like people, you want to help people, you're not really sure how. I'm a big supporter. I mean, it might be tough right now with COVID-19, but I'm a huge supporter of, you know, going to local nursing homes and asking to, uh, you know, just volunteer hanging out in the, the kind of recreational areas with, you know, the folks who live there. That's always super fun to give some context. Uh, you know, my, my mother works in a nursing home in Dalhousie, New Brunswick. And uh, as you know, James, I have two pet rabbits. Um, but I used to take, you know, pre-COVID-19, I used to take my pet rabbit to uh, the nursing home. And it was just too funny to watch, you know, these, these older folks just light up with this huge rabbit hopping around on their bed, right? Um, <laughs> You know, it can be super rewarding and super fun if you're someone who is really active and caring about the environment. You know, find a local non-for-profit that, you know, works, uh, you know, works on environmental cleanliness. If you are part of the LGBTQ2S plus community, you know, reach out to other people who are involved in that community. Be an, be an activist for, for your community and, and even better find people who might be questioning why it's important and explain that to them. Why is it important that we have activism around very specific communities? And that speaks to, to indigenous communities, right? Even if you are in, if you're an ally of any of these communities, figuring out how as an ally, you can be involved in that community, but most importantly, to be active in the community, you need to care about it. So if you're feeling like you can't care about it because there's too many issues there, and I've definitely felt that way before, you need to go see your municipal government and you need to mm -hmm. say, hey, listen, here's the thing. We need some change here. We need something else here. And don't be afraid to do that, right? Like I said, the, the up and coming generation, we are coming and we are coming fast. Get get into that movement, right? Be a part of that that movement because uh, either either that or you're going to get run over <laughs> quite honestly and uh, i can speak to that a little bit having been in Beldune, where you know our municipal government has you know mostly been you know older the older generation and you know the Beldune you know population is you know predominantly the older generation but we do have a good number of younger students there and younger people there and i had tried you know oh god would it be how many years ago now? Too many years ago. <laughs> you know, I I really wanted us to have a free summer sports camp for, you know, the younger kids in the community during the summer, right? So kids had somewhere to go where they could see their friends, hang out, kind of stay out of trouble and be involved. And, you know, without getting into too many specifics, there were a lot of unnecessary, uh, you know, kind of policy barricades that got in the way of that ended up not continuing for the next few summers because of all these different policy barricades that got in the way and it was incredibly frustrating because it was like okay look i'm here trying to you know make a difference for these younger kids by simply saying hey here's a safe place you can come hang out kick a soccer ball around learn about you know some healthy healthy living things and hang out with your friends right and you mm -hmm. know there was a lot of a lot of struggle there it's incredibly frustrating, but that's what I mean. You have to head back to your municipal governments if you're feeling like, okay, there's nothing in this community that I can go work towards. All right, let's start at the source then. So Yeah, that's a great point. And I would like to take this time to remind 
our listeners that in May of 2021, there is municipal elections. So Mm -hmm. if you are so inclined, there's an ample opportunity to even run and to have your, to be at the table, the proverbial table I talk so much about. Yeah. That I think, yeah, and I think this is actually a very opportune time to start a kind of a podcast or start the conversation around these issues because of, you know, the municipal elections and we have the Nova Scotian provincial election coming up, I believe in 2021. And yeah, I think, I think we need to start these conversations to start encouraging youth to get more involved in politics. Absolutely. And something that we've talked about a lot in um, a lot of my, you know, policy theory classes and, you know, speaking specifically to, you know, uh, minority groups who want to get involved in politics, do it in PACs. Um, If you are going to go to your municipal government and say, hey, I want to run, that's great. But I'm going to tell you this now, and this is not me saying this to discourage you. This is a get prepared because you can beat this. They will chew you up and spit you out and they will and they will do it just because that they can. And that's speaking not just to municipal government. That's every level of government from municipal, provincial, federal. That's just, you know, it's mm-hmm. the nature of it. And that nature needs to change. But if you're doing it in packs, right, you have a group of people who are like, you know what? I'm also a young person. I also support you doing this. I also want a seat at this table. It's a lot harder for people to tear down groups, right, when they come in together saying, yeah, you you got to make some room now you got to scooch over it's a lot harder for them to to target just person so i i give that advice as well if you're wanting to run that's excellent find some some you know kind of like-minded political activists in your area and say i'm gonna need your back here i'm gonna need your help so yeah no that's a great point actually i was talking with someone in a prior prior conversation and we discussed the idea kind of starting a youth lobbying kind of uh, organization to help with organizing youth candidates but that's mm-hmm. uh, that was just an idea that we were spitballing so who knows where that'll go but i think it does have a lot of importance for sure oh my god absolutely but so kind of wrapping things up would you like to add anything that has come to mind during this conversation or something that you think is important, but we haven't quite touched on as of yet. You know what the thing is, is that as soon as we're we're done, I'm going to think of a thousand things because <laughs> <laughs> that's just always how things go. Um, if I can kind of leave on, you know, one note or one idea, it's, um, you know, stay focused on what this goal is. Stay focused mm-hmm. on the fact that we have a lot of institutionalized barriers here which means that this will be a long fight. It will be a hard fight because this is going to be, you know, years and generations of young people being pushed out and being oppressed and minority groups being oppressed. Um, So it's going to, you know, it will take time. It won't happen overnight. And I'm not saying that to discourage anybody. It just means that, you know, we need to fight hard and we need to have, you know, the group of people around us don't allow this conquer and divide kind of dynamic to to discourage anybody from getting involved in politics, getting involved in your community. You know, thinking about the opportunities and the changes that you can make right here, I think we kind of have a responsibility as young people of Atlantic Canada to mm-hmm. to stay and to make the changes that need to happen. You know, I kind of feel guilty almost if I leave and start a life, you know, somewhere else that already has opportunity. It makes me wonder about 
who it is that would need the opportunities that I could create, um, you know, and I might be leaving them out of this by taking off. So I kind of feel a responsibility too to stay and to the changes here. And I am, you know, unbelievably excited for the changes that are going to be coming because there's so much room for it. We have so much space for it. And, you know, yeah, our young people are ready for it. So like I said, any, uh, any, older, more right wing kind of stuck in the old ways people, you got to get out of the way because we're coming. <laughs> <laughs> so if people want to follow you or your work or the Miramichi Youth House or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. where can they find you? Uh, yeah, so definitely I would get you guys to follow Miramichi Youth House. Um, so uh, you can find them on Instagram, uh, Miramichi Youth House, all one word, and on Facebook as well, Miramichi Youth House. And like I said, um, we might have a name change coming mm -hmm. at some point. Um, even if that happens, you will still have access to those those um, kind of social media spots. But if you have any questions about any of those sites, um, I'm actually the, the public relations manager. So if you need to reach me, you can reach me through there. If you have any more questions, concerns, or even just want to learn more about it, um, I am more than happy to answer any questions or get you in touch with people who could answer some questions. And if anyone's actually looking to maybe start a career with Miramichi Youth House, you know, we're, we're growing and we're moving and yeah, like don't be afraid to get in touch and see what we can, uh, you know, do to make some more room for young people at the table. Perfect. Well, uh, that is all for me. So thank you again so much for coming on to the show and talking with me. Uh, and I hope you have a great day. Yes, you too. Thank you so much, James. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of What Do You Think? If you liked it, please be sure to share it with your friends and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to join the conversation, please follow us on Twitter and or Instagram at whatyouth__think. Together, we can make our voices heard. Thank you very much.